electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on last call, Jerome Powell letting loose. The town is a member of the Fed family. Um, so my assigned topic is uh, U.S. monetary policy in the current global inflation episode. So I'll begin by briefly addressing the U.S. outlook. Not exactly letting loose there, but we'll show you what he did. All right, protesters making a ruckus. And by the way, he made an even bigger one for the market. That is coming up. A new paradigm, the actor's strike over, but Hollywood's transformation just beginning. Filmmaker Justine Bateman here on What Comes Next. A big update from the IRS. The new tax brackets revealed. How much do you stand to pay? We'll show you. Plus, the very best places to retire in America, according to you. And I'm telling you, like, almost all of them are going to surprise you. Plus, the rise of the hush trip. The holidays are upon us. Are you obligated to tell your boss about your working vacation? That growing debate and much more. It's belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, good evening here. Good afternoon out west, everybody. Got a big hour ahead, but first up tonight on Last Call, is the President Biden-Elon Musk feud back on? Tesla and Toyota are on high alert tonight after the president said this earlier today. Do you support the UAW's efforts to unionize Tesla and Toyota, Mr. Absolutely. President? Yeah. That's it, saying he supports the effort to unionize the two. Those comments happening before the president attended a UAW event in Belvedere, Illinois, Wearing the union signature red T-shirt, Biden congratulated UAW President Sean Fain for securing their historic labor deal with the Detroit Big Three. Sean, you've done one hell of a job, pal. And it may be true, but it doesn't hurt to have a leader with a backbone like a ramrod. All right, meantime on Wall Street, and speaking of autos, Tesla, one of the bigger decliners in the S&P 500 today, It fell following a downgrade on the street, but President Biden's comments surely did not help. In the meantime, Toyota closed in the green, but it was up, but at session low. So the question is this, coming hot off that win we talked about last night, will the UAW in four years be able to successfully unionize the largest automaker in the world, that is Toyota, and what about Tesla? Will Elon Musk push back? Will Tesla employees push back? Let's talk to somebody who knows Elon Musk very well, and that is David Sachs. David, great to have you back on Last Call. Uh, What do you make of the president's comments, and do you believe that Tesla could someday be unionized by the UAW? I I don't think there's anything surprising about the president's comments. Uh, He, of course, he wants uh, Tesla and Toyota and every other company in the world to be unionized. Um, He's probably the most union capture president we've ever had. Uh, Recall that when the White House did their EV summit, they didn't even invite Tesla. And that was 100% because of the fact that Tesla is not a union shop. And instead, the president gave 
credit for starting the EV revolution to companies like GM, which is just silly. The question you have to ask is, why is Tesla so innovative? Why was Tesla able to invent the EV revolution, whereas GM and Ford were not? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that not being a union shop gives them flexibility and they can actually implement the vision and in a more flexible way. And so you have to really ask yourself whether uh, what Bi the agenda Biden's pushing here is actually going to make American business more competitive or does it trap it in some archaic view of the past? Well, you know, listen, David, it is politics, that murky world, right? And uh, the UAW's endorsement, of which I don't believe has been received yet for President Biden, incredibly important. And Michigan may turn out, maybe along with Georgia, to be one of the two most important states in determining the 2024 election. So you can't blame the politician for politicking. But to your point, he did say 80% of EVs were made in the United States. Most of those, David, as you know, are coming from Tesla, a non-union shop. I thought that was probably kind of a little bit of a cringe moment. Almost all of the EVs made in the United States are coming from Tesla. And to be quite frank, the EVs made by those other companies, nobody wants them. And they don't have great- I may have heard uh, that somewhere. Yeah, they don't have great range and they don't have great charging networks. In fact, the, the the only EV companies who have good charging networks are the ones that are using Tesla's charging networks. So, uh, look, I mean, this is just the reality of the situation. But but you're right, Brian, that this is all about politics. The president is uh, is a union backer, a union supporter, and this is all 100 percent driven by politics. But the question you want to ask is, is this really good for the American economy? And one thing I would just point out is that Tesla pays its people, its workers, as well or better than these union shops. This is not what the issue is about. This is not about compensation. It's about flexibility. It's about the ability to innovate. Elon wants that flexibility. And you can't really argue with the results. The, the results of that flexibility have allowed them to invent this EV revolution. Yeah. And the last thing we should be trying to do is turn back the clock and go backwards. I believe a lot of Tesla employees have Tesla stock as well, which then if, you, so if you're just looking at straight salary, it may not look the same. But if you factor in the stock-based compensation, it might make up for that easily. David, uh, I don't know if you saw it. If you didn't, no worries. UAW President Sean Fain was here live with us last night on the show. And I want you to listen to what he said about the, quote, fear-mongering surrounding the labor deals with the big three. Well, I can tell you 12 billion reasons why uh, Stellantis will be okay. I can give you 10 billion reasons why GM will be okay and, and, and billions more why Ford will be okay. Uh, they all made billions of dollars in profits in the first six months alone. Uh, they've made a quarter trillion dollars in the last decade. Is it fair, David, do you think, to say that these companies, the, the Detroit Three, because, you know, really Stellantis is an overseas-based company, can absorb the, the higher labor costs? Well, Mr. Fain is just doing his job. His job is to represent the did it well. And, yeah, and try and extract as much as he can from the automakers. But I'm old enough to remember when just a few months ago they were on strike and they were demanding a four-day week work week and a 30% increase in pay at the same time. These types of demands are simply uneconomic. And the car companies negotiated them down to something that I guess they could live with. But I do think that the unions are always at the precipice, are always at the knife's edge of demanding things that are ultimately going to put these car companies out of business or or since they can't go out of business because the government will always bail them out, they're always, I think, putting these car companies at risk of basically being unprofitable and having to be bailed out by the government. 
And, you know, that that's the danger of this dynamic. And again, you have to ask the question, is this type of dynamic healthy for the American economy? Is it making us more innovative or is it trapping us in some view of the past? Well, it's not just the UAW. I mean, we can show you the labor movement has gained a lot of steam, a lot of momentum, David. We'll walk through it. UPS drivers, they want a huge new contract. The UAW, they got theirs. The Hollywood writers, that just wrapped up. The actor's strike, by the way, looks like it's wrapping up. We got Justine Bateman, by the way, coming up a bit on the show to talk about that. Some healthcare workers taking temporary strikes and Vegas hospitality workers as well. So this is not a, a UAW thing, David. This, this is across many industries and would be kind of probably not smart to not expect more. Well, I think that's right. And, you know, on that Hollywood strike, the thing that I thought was really interesting, and I've, I've produced a couple of movies uh, in my time, and so I know a little bit about the industry, is it's not that they were demanding things like residuals. I can understand why they would seek to improve the livelihoods of the people who are at the bottom of the economic ladder in Hollywood. It was the demands like limiting the use of AI in Hollywood. They're basically trying to instruct the studios, do not use the latest technology. Fundamentally, this is my problem with unions coming to dominate an industry is they put the kibosh on innovation. They don't want these companies using the latest cutting edge technology. And I think that's when it crosses the line from merely seeking, you know, a better economic arrangement for their members to, again, trapping an industry in the methods of the past and not letting them innovate for the future. Yeah. Is there a way... We got to be happy for the workers, right? I, I definitely hear your point. There's a lot of people, you know, we posted the interview to X last night, and there's a lot of people saying, great job, UAW, and many were saying, well, now Detroit is in big trouble because they're already maybe non-competitive or not, not nimble enough, and this, this could make it. Listen, ultimately, time is going to tell. Toyota saying in a statement to us that they will work with their employees, and ultimately, it'll be the employee's decision. But what do you make of it sort of just in a larger perspective, David, the movement that we are having in America. And let's say there is a change at the top in the White House next year with whatever. Do you think it it ends with that? Or do you think it will continue on for years to come? Is this a new paradigm? It's it's probably a permanent feature of the of big labor in the United States is that you are going to have it uh, represented by unions and they are going to seek um, you know, demands on behalf of their members. But again, the thing I would just point to is if you look at the right to work states, the, again, the employees are able to get similar compensation, but without the inflexibility uh, that really uh, hamstring these companies and employers from engaging in innovation. So I do think that there is a, a better way. I think that unions do have their place in the economy, but I don't know that we need the present of the United States to be taking their side on every single issue. And, you know, it could be helpful if you had some more balanced uh, political environment here where the unions can negotiate on behalf of the members, but they're not getting this enormous assist from the federal government. Like we said, it's politicking and electioneering and he needs Michigan. David, you announced a new fund today. Tell us about the new fund. What is it? That's right. Well, my venture firm is, is, called Craft Ventures. We're software investors. We just uh, raised $1.3 billion to invest in, in software companies across both venture and growth stages. We're specialists in SaaS or software as a service. It's basically B2B software. And we invest in cutting edge tech software technologies like AI uh, that I think is transforming the economy in our workplace. So we're going to look for more opportunities 
to invest in the best new software startup companies. And that's why we're very concerned about innovation in the economy. We want the American economy to be as innovative as possible. David Sachs, Kraft Ventures, new fund. Thanks for your commentary and time as always, David. Have a good night. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. In the meantime, folks, here's what happened to your money today. And we do it on a bit of a somber note because cue the Godfather music. The stock rally is il morto. The rally ended today after a massive nine-day move for the NASDAQ, and here's how it ended. The Dow ending down about 220 points. The NASDAQ, though, which was in the green at some point today, down 128 points, just under a 1% drop. Still, nine-day rally, best in two years. There you go. Futures not giving us any clue whatsoever about how things may go, with maybe a little bit around the NASDAQ being a touch to the downside. All right, we got a lot more to do here on Last Call. It up next. The epic battle shaping up between OPEC, Russia, and maybe even American drivers. Plus, a big speech by Jay Powell going sideways, and he drops a bomb, an F-bomb. You'll hear it coming up. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Oil prices closed below 76 bucks a barrel today. They have now come down $15 a barrel in just the last few weeks, with markets apparently worried about global demand. Others, maybe like Saudi Arabia, may disagree. And of course, the next few months are the ones that are going to really matter. It could be shaping up to be a battle royale between sort of OPEC, Russia, Iran, China, and yes, even the American driver. With us tonight to talk about it all, RBC Capital Markets, Global Head of Commodity Strategy, CNBC contributor, Halima Croft, burning some oil to get out of New Jersey. Yes. We appreciate you, you coming out here, Halima. You were just in Saudi Arabia. You were just with uh, Abdulaziz bin Salman, the energy minister. Yes. He seemed to indicate to you that he did not think this was a demand issue. If it's not that, then what is it? For this recent weakness. I mean, he's out blaming speculators again. He's looking at positioning in the market and he's saying demand is holding up. 
that there's seasonality to demand, seasonality to supply, and basically saying this is the paper market, not the physical market. And so the question is, mm. is he preparing for another short squeeze? When he's out saying basically watch out, what does that mean for OPEC in two weeks' time? Well, that's going to be the question. And OPEC has just been kind of on sort of that rubber stamp mode like we saw yeah. during the pandemic. The next meeting is in person. I think you and I will both be there. Yes. Thank you, OPEC, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. But it's in person. That always adds an element of mystery because they tend to make the bigger moves when they've got 200 members of the media and analysts like yourself there. What do you expect from them? I mean, I expect, given the current weakness in prices, do I anticipate that the Saudis will likely roll over that unilateral one million barrel a day cut into Q1? I think that's certainly on the table. The mm. prospect of that is rising. Bigger, Could they make the cut bigger than one million barrels well, a day? That is something I actually interviewed His Royal Highness in September. I got to interview him basically back to back. And he said, we can go either way. We can add barrels, subtract barrels. And the question is, if we are still facing a declining market, will they step up and do more? Now, the thing is, Brian, in June, they put a lot of work into getting those quotas set. And that was not an easy They appeased the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> 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 because that, they, that's the one that tends to push back. That's the one that pushes back. And so they got a lot of heavy lifting down on quotas. The question is, do you want to reopen quotas? Do you potentially have some more voluntary cuts from other members? Mm. What would be the formula? But right now, they have two weeks to make that decision to watch the market. And there are other variables. What happens with the war? Are we, that's, a, that's a huge that's variable. That's a huge variable because the market has basically now said there's no geopolitical risk. Once the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, was out on Friday saying we're not getting involved right now, a lot of market participants were like, let's close the book on the Middle East. But yeah. that doesn't mean anybody who's actually living in the Middle East, working to get an off-ramp, believes that the situation is in any We're way We're firing resolved. rockets at Iranian-backed sites into Syria. You've got a bunch of Iranian Revolutionary Guard kind of floating around. But here's what I don't understand. U.S. rig counts continue to go down. Uh, driving demand, gasoline demand, is a little weaker because of work from home, right. EVs, et cetera. But China's been, imports have been relatively steady. We take 2 million barrels a day off the market with OPEC and the Russia and Saudi cuts. And yet oil is adjusted for inflation, and this may blow people's right. minds, the exact same dollar amount it was five years ago. I know. It's incredible. Exact same. And we have a war involving one of the world's largest oil producers entering, you know, we've already done two years of the war with Russia. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting question is, is this an issue of too much supply on the market? Again, Prince Abdelaziz pushed back on that, but we've seen, you know, U.S. supply growth. We've seen Iranian growth. And so to me, an interesting question is, Will the Iran numbers hold up? Will there potentially be a the U.S. said they're going to tighten? There's, there's the, it's the, I think it's called the. I'm going to be clear with my words. The ship with a P act. Yes. And it's like stopping something Iranian production. They want to because the sanctions. Let's be clear. The sanctions. We kind of turned a blind eye, a blind eye to them for a while. Right. And we've seen Iranian barrels. You know, a surge in Iranian barrels. What I think is interesting about the congressional bill is that it's targeting ports. So I think that mm. might be a way to sort of clean up some of the subterfuge around, are these really Iranian barrels? Are they Malaysian barrels? If you go after the ports, that potentially makes it harder for Iran to disguise the exports. Well, if we can track them and marine traffic and tanker traffic. It's a question of will. Them. Yeah, it is a question of will. And 
Are we going to will oil prices back to 100 by taking a rain? It's a very sticky situation, but that's why we're... It's a very tricky situation. Tricky and sticky. sticky. It is the ship... Act. Yes. Halima, thank you for coming out thank here. You for and having uh, me. I guess we'll we'll see you in Vienna. See you in Vienna. Thank you. All right. Still ahead. Something I thought I would never say. I'm sorry. No. Jay Powell dropped an F-bomb in public, and that may not even be the strangest thing that happened for investors today. We'll tell you what it is coming up. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome back. It's over. Not the show, the market rally. The S&P 500's eight-day winning streak, done. The NASDAQ nine-session run in the green, gone with the win. The Dow also closed down. And this certainly was not some ordinary market day. The losses began thanks to a bond auction by the Treasury, because remember, we got $33 trillion in debt we got to fund and a deficit that's going to hit $2 trillion, And that auction did not go well. 30-year bonds, they were up for grabs. You want buyers. The problem was... Not many buyers came in to buy them. The weak demand sent the 30-year yield up. And as we know, and as you know, and if you don't know, we're going to tell you again, when yields go up, stocks often go down, especially if it's a very violent and quick move in yields. Now, the day's drama did not end there. This afternoon, Fed Chair Jay Powell took to the stage at an IMF conference. He was attempting to deliver remarks on monetary policy until this happened. By refusing to treat climate change yeah, like true. a systemic okay. risk, like Thank you. you are putting us at Thank you very much. Disaster. Thank you very much. Climate change yep. will Thank you. Just close the door. Yeah, that was Jay Powell just saying, um, close the close the bleeping door. The disruption was caused by climate protesters. Order was eventually restored. Powell said that the Fed. Still has a long way to go before it can determine when inflation is truly under control. Those comments putting further pressure on the stock market. Joining us now, though, to make sense of it all is Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich with a smile, not only because your bingles are hot, but also because you pretty much called this rally. You've been on a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and you, you were optimistic and you were right. And if people listen to you, they made a lot of money. But that was in the past, Ryan. What do you see happening now? Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me back. And I've never followed up a Fed chairperson who cussed. So this is this is a first. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, listen, we just were up eight days in a row. Okay, so what does that mean? We know that's a long win streak. I mean, yes, today we sold off late. I don't know if it's because of what Powell had to say. I don't know if it's because of yields. Maybe the market was just due for a break. You know, what does eight days in a row mean? I mean, I took a look, Brian. It's kind of average returns, honestly. But a year later, up about 13% median, higher three-fourths of the time. So we know we probably just had a major low. I mean, all that negative sentiment, right? We think this is your standard year where you're strong early in a, in a midterm year. I'm sorry, in a, in a pre-election year. You have that seasonally weak third quarter and then the late October low. And I know it's never quite that simple. 
But we think we're in a scenario again where now we're up almost 15% for the year on the S&P. And I get it. Small caps haven't done as well. Mid caps haven't done as well. We still optimistic there's going to be a chase into the end of the year. And where we are today, we'll probably be up a good deal in equities for all is said and done. Yeah, and we got to be happy with this kind of year. I mean, 14% for the S&P 500. And if you're invested in the NASDAQ 100, you're up like 40% on the year. One of the one of the top 10 returns of all time for the NASDAQ going back to, I think, 1971. You can't complain about that. So what's going to be the motivate? I mean, who's going to get greedy, right, I guess? What's going to be, though, the next big motivator for the market? Will it be the Fed? Will it be inflation? Will it be, I don't know, elections? What is it? Yeah, it's probably a combo of all those, yeah. to be very honest. I mean, again, I think it is the Fed. And I, I know what Powell said today, kind of walked back a little bit of the dovishness he gave a week ago. I mean, when we look at some of the data, I mean, look at used car prices, right? Mannheim used car index, Brian, year over year down 14 months in a row. Then go look at rents, apartment list rent prices are down negative year over year. What am I getting at? That's more than half of core CPI is used cars and houses. To us, the Fed is done, right? I mean, inflation is telling us it's coming back. But here's the good news. Productivity is strong. The economy is still pretty healthy, last I checked. So we don't see a recession. So, again, this is all part of the process where if the Fed is done hiking yeah. like we think we are, we went back, Brian, the last 10 times. The Fed stopped hiking. A year later, stock market's up eight of them with some really good gains. We think that could be the scenario. I, and I get it. Listen, I get it. I'm a, I'll push back, not on you, but somebody's yeah. got to play, play the villain tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Like, I don't want the market to be controlled by the Federal Reserve. I, I, I just I wish the Federal Reserve would, you know, just do their job and sort of the background. Like nobody could even name a Fed chairman 30 years ago. Just, you know, right. do your stuff. Be the grease in the wheels, the motor that nobody sees. We're living and dying on every Fed change of language and seven or eight stocks are benefiting. I want earnings to kick in. I want the S&P 493 to kick in. I want the small cap 600 to kick in because I think those are the stocks that really indicate how the economy is doing, not NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't disagree with some of all of what you just said. There, Feel free to. Mean, Makes yeah, better exactly. TV you mentioned did. this. I mean, earnings. Earnings, as we all know, we had an earnings recession. I mean, earnings next year, Brian, should an all-time high. Here's what's really surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Profit margins. How long have we heard profit margins are pressured? Profit margins have to go lower. Profit margins have been going higher since March. With the tailwind of higher profit margins and potentially record earnings next year, we're in that camp. We do like right now, we have slight overweight to small caps, mid caps, and cyclicals. The areas that if you don't have a recession should do pretty well. Tech has done amazing. Communication services has done amazing. We get it. We just think into next year, the economy is going to do pretty good, we think. Uh, better people Which think means small caps, small like caps might, might do okay? Yeah, we do. A year ago right now, did anyone want to touch technology? No, because it was doing very poorly. Into next year, if I come back with you in a year, I, we really think small caps are going to do pretty well the next 12 months or so, along with mid caps as well, with the realization, again, there's no recession coming. Yeah, the only recession may have been among small cap mutual fund managers, but you just made True. some of them happy. Ryan Dietrich, thank you very much. Appreciate it, Ryan. We'll see you again. Thank All you. Right. Appreciate it, Brian. Take yeah, care. You're very welcome. Still ahead, you win some, you lose some. Why investors are cashing out despite strong results. Tessa Brewer is up with that. And also, some comments about the upcoming Formula One race. You got to hear. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. First up, Microsoft briefly restricting employee access today to OpenAI's ChatGPT. 
over security and data concerns. In an update to Microsoft's internal website, the company said ChatGPT, quote, is nevertheless a third-party external service that must mean you exercise caution while using it. OpenAI not being singled out, the sentiment extends to other external AI services, but more interesting because Microsoft has invested more than $10 billion into OpenAI, and now it was kind of warning about its safety and security. Hmm. All right, now to Vegas, baby. And Macau, Wynn Resorts, posting some solid numbers, and even China is coming back. But apparently the good numbers, not quite good enough. Shares are falling after hours, down about 5.5%. Joining us now is Contessa Brewer, who, of course, covers casinos for us. The numbers looked pretty good, Contessa, but the market didn't seem to like them that much. Yeah, well, it's all about Macau, and Wynn missed expectations in Macau in terms of property-adjusted EBITDA, that's the crucial earnings metric in gaming. And you know how much they missed it by? $4 million. And it was one property. It wasn't both properties. One property's on fire and, and, and meeting expectations. The other property, and they admit it on the call, is just going about it pretty slowly. But that tells you this emphasis that's on Macau. And the other thing is, Brian, what they've said is that they have had to do a real pivot because previously their business was really high-end gamblers, talking VIP, junkets, that's pretty much gone. They've done a big pivot now to focus on the mass segment. And so that may have been, you know, ruffling the investors just a bit as well. The thing that blows my mind, not just about Wynn, but about Las Vegas Sands and anybody doing business in Macau is like you go to Vegas and you're like, man, this is like a big city. You could see it from the moon. There's tens of thousands of people everywhere. It's mobbed. And then... When you look at Macau, you realize just how small Vegas really is. So my point is Macau matters a lot. It sure does. And and in fact, before the pandemic, it was something like five times the size of Las Vegas in terms of money, in terms of hotel rooms. Vegas way outsizes Macau. But this is one reason why if you're competing all of a sudden in the mass segment, Las Vegas Sands has the biggest footprint in Macau. It has by far the most hotel rooms. So now all of a sudden you're trying to make up that money that you used to get from junkets in people who are coming without the without the same kind of hotel capacity. And it's just uh, they've got a tougher row to hoe. Yep. What about F1, Formula One? It's coming to Vegas for the first time since like 1979. Everybody, but you're probably going. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the lifelong F1 fan and I can't afford to go. I'm assuming they're sold out and printing money. Yeah, well, so they are sold out. They are, I don't know about printing money, but let me just give you a little color. Here's Wynn on the call saying, uh, the CEO said, um, you know, this is going to be by far our biggest event Ever. And then the executive team goes on to say, yeah, we're going to set a new record for a hotel in Las Vegas over the three days of F1. And we're going to beat the record by 50 percent. We're going to exceed it by that. And we heard this from MGM and from Caesars as well. In fact, Caesars CEO put a number on it. They said, we think it's going to contribute about 5 percent of our EBITDA for the fourth quarter. And then that won't be the ceiling on how Las Vegas does because you've got the Super Bowl in February right on the heels that brings in a different audience. 
But boy, are they especially when they said this is our core demographic, the F1 yeah. fan, many of them coming in from international. And remember, international is the last segment to return to normal uh, in Las Vegas. So they've really been looking forward to this race to hit that particular audience. Got, got a big new audience. I love it. I, I went to my first F1 race, I think, in 1977 when I was like six years old. So I'm glad everybody's finally I joining. Was, wait, you were born in 1977? I was 42 years old in 1977, Kentucky. A brewer. <laughs> well, that Botox is paying off for you, Brian. Uh, what? Uh, it sure is. Uh, no, Contessa, thank you very much. Awesome stuff. I hope, you, I hope you're going to the F. Everyone's going to the F1 except, except for me. All right. The rate of price increases may be coming down, but let's be intellectually honest, shall we, between us? For most Americans, inflation is still a major problem. The cost of everything is up massively over the last three years or so. I mean, right? And now even... Inflation impacting your taxes. The IRS is out with its federal income tax brackets for 2024. And maybe some good news. A higher portion of your income will now be taxed at a lower rate to adjust for inflation. Each deduction and threshold now up 5.4% from last year, the second highest jump in three decades, following last year's jump of over 7%. Now, it should be noted that this inflation adjustment does happen every year, but with higher inflation means higher adjustments. What exactly does it mean for you and your taxes? Joining us now is CPA and accounting professor at Montclair State University, Dan Geltrude. He is known as one of America's top accountants. I, may, I don't know if you're accepting new clients, Dan, but we should talk offline. Uh, what exactly is this going to mean for, for most taxpayers in America? Well, look, this is really good news. And any time we can get good news on the tax end, Brian, we're going to take it. It's not good news like we're abolishing the IRS, but it's still good news. So here's what's happening. We don't have a change in the rates. The brackets, well, there's still seven brackets and the highest tax bracket is 37%. What's changing here are the income ranges within the bracket. So let me give you an example. And by the way, we're talking about this going into effect for 2024. So we're talking about filing for 2025. So let's say you have a tax bracket that hits its top level at $100,000 and $100,001, it goes to the next bracket. Inflation having its impact, that's going to change to a hundred and five thousand dollars. So that's, Dan, that's, so that's good. I think I think and I've done my own taxes for years. It's probably a mistake. But that's that sounds to me like good news. Sort of. It is good news. It's really good news. And on top of that, we're also going to have an increase in the standard deduction again because of inflation. So if you're married, you're going to go up $1,500. And if you're single, it's another 750 So again, let's take it. But let's remember, there aren't going to be major changes here, such as the itemized deductions. A lot of people are still upset from that back in 2017. And the reason we're not going to have any major changes with tax laws, Brian, is because you have split government. These guys can't agree on anything. So the way the tax code is right now, that's the way yeah. it's going to be until the sunset in 2025. But we'll save that battle for next year. To your point, a lot has to do with how the makeup of Congress is. But right now, maybe a little bit of relief from inflation, courtesy of all things 
the IRS. Dan Geltrude, great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, coming up, a new Hollywood beginning. The entertainment industry opening a new era after the end of the actor strike. Filmmaker Justine Bateman, who led much of this charge, is here on What Happens Next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Hollywood is getting back to work. SAG-AFTRA and the major studios reaching a tentative deal last night, ending a 118-day strike that halted Hollywood production and delayed major projects. Now, the full details of the proposed contract have yet to be released, and it still needs to be ratified by the union members, so it's not quite over yet. But SAG-AFTRA says the new deal boosts minimum pay and health care contributions, increases residual payments for streaming shows. That was a big deal. And it also includes landmark protections against the use of artificial intelligence, AI. Now, on that last point, which was also a big sticking point for the union, we do have some more information, courtesy of SAG's chief negotiator, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland's interview with Rolling Stone. When studios make digital replicas of actors, they will need to disclose what it is being used for before parameters and performers can agree or disagree. If they say yes, they get paid. And AI protections will likely extend the likeliness of dead actors and actors. Well, but, of, but of course. Now, full disclosure, our parent company, NBC Universal, is a member of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Let's talk about the AI side of this and what it may mean and bring in filmmaker Justine Bateman. She was involved as an AI advisor, although not, I don't think, Justine, welcome back, directly involved in, in figuring this out in the contract, but you're really dialed in. What can you tell us about the AI side of this deal? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, there and, you know, looking at the proposals and counterproposals and what should and shouldn't be in there and how certain permissions would play out. Um, but unfortunately, I was not invited to be a part of this last week of negotiations. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, and I think a lot will become clear when we see what those AI negotiate, what the AI uh, provisions are. And I believe it's about 13 pages. And I think that's going to be very important to read the details of it, because some of the language that I saw that the AMPTP was proposing had these loopholes for owning images for eternity. And um, it, it's a it's something to look at the details of. Um, yeah. And you've been, Justine, you've been pretty vocal, you know, out there with us before, also on, on X and Twitter, and basically saying, like, it's like an athlete who says, well, I don't feel like training, right? It's just easy. You think it's just too easy for AI, do you believe is kind of your, your big beef, and I don't want to speak for you, that you feel like AI is almost cheating in a way? No. No, when I said that, um, some, some proponents of AI say, listen, it's going to make it easier for you. So if you're saying to an actor, we're going to make it easier for you, uh, you, you, know, you don't want to show up to the set and be there with everybody. And, all. and it's like saying to an athlete, well, you don't want to bother with training, right? But for an athlete, that's that's part of the job. That's part of crafting how you're going to exhibit your skill, uh, you know, your your gifted skill of being an athlete. Listen, I hope all actors, whatever the baseline becomes 
under the SAG contract, I hope all actors just say, I don't want to be scanned. Because listen, unless it's for something that's so fantastical or a stunt that uh, is so dangerous that you can't even get a stunt person to do it, then sure, scan someone for it. Otherwise, call the actor and ask them to show up at a particular time. It's been done for a century. Why? And if somebody's just going to sell their image, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing that? Money. What? Well, money, my guess is. Could we see new, quote, new movies, oh. Justine, coming out with Elvis and James Dean in them? Well, that's up to their uh, their estates. Yeah, if their estates want to, you know, and hopefully put people put in their wills. Like, I, my image cannot be used after I die so that the estates can't continue to do that. I don't know. I just think the whole thing's really bizarre. I mean, why would you capitulate your your life like that. It's, it's not for me as a filmmaker. I'll never, I'll never use generative AI for anything. Uh, it's, it's a huge sticking point and the technology has moved so quickly, Justine, let's hope that they get it right. Cause to your point, a lot of people's livelihoods are on the line, but you've been vocal about it. We appreciate you coming on as well, Justine Bateman. Thank you very much. And I want to say this last yep. thing. Go ahead. It's not just the cast. It's the entire crew. You get rid of the cast, you get rid of the set, you get rid of the entire crew. So there's a lot of other people whose livelihoods are at stake here. Yeah, well said. One generative, you know, AI thing, and you don't need everybody else on set because there is no set. There's just a computer and a fake image. Justine, thank That's you. Good. Be well. All right, time now for our Quicker Than the Ticker, all the best of the rest of the headlines and a very hungry bear. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. It is the most valuable art auction this year. Pablo Picasso's Femme à la Montre just sold for $139 million. It is the second most valuable Picasso ever sold. Where's the beef? Apparently in the inflation aisle. Beef prices in America hitting record highs. The average now $8 a pound driven by higher feed costs because of droughts in the South and the West. Let's listen to the books. Spotify just adding more than 200,000 audiobooks to the platform for premium subscribers. You can now listen to 15 hours worth of audiobooks a month. Jared Leto, 30 seconds closer to Mars. Look at that. The actor and musician climbed the Empire State Building. It's all to announce his band, 30 seconds to Mars, new 2024 tour. What a dangerous stunt. Stop the steal. No, really. A bear stealing a Florida family's food delivery right after it was dropped off. The bear simply took the package and walked off, and it was all caught on camera. Would it be a dad joke to say that they made a boo-boo by leaving the food there? That's terrible. Coming up, it's called the Hush Trip. And if you're thinking of trying to pull one off this holiday season, you may want to think again. We'll tell you what it is next. All right, welcome back. It is the latest workplace or non-workplace trend. It's called the hush trip. Don't tell anybody. A hush trip is when you work remotely from a place other than your home and you don't tell your boss that you're not at home. So should you have to disclose where you're working from if it is not from home? Joining us now is workplace expert Tom Gimble. He is the founder and CEO of the employment agency LaSalle. Network. Now, on television, I am not able to do said trip, but I can assure you, if I was just working on a laptop I, and I wanted to work in Hawaii, 
and I was never in the office, why is it my, any of my boss's business where I am? Well, number one, if somebody's paying you and they have rules, then you abide by those rules. So, so that's number one. Number two. Yeah, but is there a rule you can't, you have to stay in your home? That's called every ankle no, monitor. I, I, oh, come on, Brian. Every company has, has rules for how they're handling remote work. And number one, if there are rules, then you're, you're signing up. And if you want to take a chance, my belief on everything is if you have to lie about what you're doing, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Well, is it is it okay if it's in the rules? Fair enough. You sign an employment contract that says you know you can't just scamper off somewhere. I get it. Yeah. But if you don't have that, Tom, and and is it lying or just like no. I'm I'm now it's somewhere else? Lying. It's, it's absolutely not lying, Brian. But what, you know, if so, there, there's one thing to omit telling somebody, there's another thing to lie about it. So if somebody says you know, hey, by the way, we're going to need people in the office on Thursday and you're on a beach in Florida and your office is in Boston and you can't show up. Are you going to lie now? Or are you going to well, tell then you're the in truth? Well, then you're, then you're in trouble, right? I mean, but if we're let's, talking about it, isn't it? You we're know, we're talking, CNBC. We got, a, we got a rich audience. A lot of people have multiple homes. So if they say, are you at home? Do you say which home? No, but I, listen, if we're talking purely to the, the CNBC audience and the hedge funds in those worlds, it's probably not an issue. If we're talking to the rank and file of people that are making, you know, that are watching the show that aspire for that, that are 70 to $250,000 or $500,000, those people may not. And they may be living in a, in a timeshare or at a friend's house. Just be, it, it, why are you lying about where you're at? I just don't understand why the need to do that. Well, I tell you what, maybe they don't need to do it, but a lot of people are, Tom, because we, of course, went to the X Twitter and we ran a poll. Have you recently taken a hush trip? In other words, if you work remotely without telling your boss, 67% said no, of which half those people are probably lying. 33% said yes, which makes you think it's probably more like 50% because nobody believes everything is truly anonymous. That'd be a lot. And per your last story with the, the actors and, and, and AI, and people wonder why employers want to switch to AI for things. Well, that, that's a, I, I, like the, I like the sort of the sequitur, not a non-sequitur. I guess, can you say that? Is it a sequitur if they go it's together? Sequitur. The last it's a non-sequitur. Yeah, it's a, a non, and so there is a, I don't know, I, me fail English, that's impossible, to quote Ralph Wiggum. Um, so how does this work going forward, Tom? Uh, do we just say no more remote work, like, where it feels like, and everybody's kind of inching back in, but it just yeah. feels like when the market turns down, if the economy slows down, I think employees are going to lose a lot. I'm not saying I agree with this. They're going to lose a lot of their bargaining power. Oh, they've already lost their bargaining power, but it's not unfair bargaining power, Brian. What we've got is a situation that because of a pandemic, the tables tipped to everybody having to work from home during health issues. Then what happened was, People, remote work was going so crazy and we couldn't find talent that employees would hire people anywhere. And then the recovery from the pandemic, that stockpile, that supply chain problem leveled off. And so now things are normal from a standpoint of, of supply chain delay, getting things, mm -hmm. and the and the world is, is more normal. So we're sitting in this situation that employees want to be able to do whatever they want. And that's just not the real world. Is that somebody hires somebody to do a job and they say where they want where they want them to be. And the employee says, I'll take that job or I won't take that job. Yeah. And it's not about, if you're great, if you're Michael That's, Jordan, Michael Woods, Yo-Yo Ma, you can do whatever you want. I do like the Chicago reference based on where you are. Tom Gimbel, LaSalle Network, good stuff. Hot topic discussion, folks. That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow, but stick around. David Faber and John Malone in Leaders next.
hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.